Hello, and welcome to the ES Code podcast, where we discuss developer tools that make programming feel like magic. I'm your host, John Britton, and today we have Kevin Winnery, head of developer experience at Retool. Retool makes a powerful set of building blocks for teams to build internal tools faster. We discuss the challenges of building internal tools, the role of developer experience, and the benefits of yes code over no code tools. Let's have a listen. Today, we're joined by Kevin Winnery, head of developer experience at Retool. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to get started, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? What do you do? And, and why, why do you care about developer stuff? Yeah, well, uh, I, I care about developer stuff a lot. I've been in this space for, um, I'm getting, I think about 15 years now, all told. Um, and um, I've sort of been, uh, you know, a staff software engineer. I've kind of done the that uh, type of work um, earlier in my career, but um, I sort of fell into uh, developer relations and developer evangelism uh, sort of by accident. Um, I got involved with an open source project um, uh, that was sort of sponsored by a company based in California. And I would later learn that there was a whole business around uh, supporting this open source project uh, and that, uh, you know, it was possible to actually build products for developers um, instead of just you know consuming these products and building uh, software the way that I had uh, sort of done previously. So I kind of got bitten by you know being able to build products for people like me uh, with sort of you know util utilizing the empathy that I have for what a developer needs, how a developer works, uh, and I've just really enjoyed uh, doing that work and have done it for a while. I, I just finished up a lengthy stint. Uh, a company called Twilio uh, that makes some APIs for making phones ring and uh, sending text messages, that sort of thing, as you well know. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, recently joined up at Retool, uh, which is another developer tools company that's really exciting. So um, yeah, I've just really enjoyed being in this space for quite a bit now. Excellent. Thank you so much. And yeah, you, you kind of got right into it with Retool. Um, for the people who haven't heard of Retool before, can you tell us what it is and um, why it might be interesting to the average developer? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Retool is a platform for building uh, custom software applications, um, but kind of specifically in the space of like internal tools, admin panels, dashboards, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, what kind of attracted me to the product um, initially was, you know, as a web developer um, over the last you know, 20 years or so, I I've kind of lost count of how many like little CRUD applications I've built here and there with just like forms and tables and buttons that all kind of like do the same thing. Um, I just would, you know, reach for whatever CSS framework was in style at the time, whether it was, you know, Bootstrap or MUI or something along those lines. Uh, and the actual like user interface and uh, those parts of the application weren't that interesting. What they did was very interesting. Um, they sort of operated key parts of you know the businesses that I was working for. Uh, you know, and I think uh, a lot of us have used internal tools that have some like critical capacity or like do some very important job within the business, but like the uh, actual uh, user interaction isn't that like sort of novel or that uh, important even, um, so long as it's efficient and performant. So um, when I discovered this product, I was like, oh, finally, the, like somebody has started to think about uh, applying like the dry principles uh, to this entire space of software development. Um, so I was really attracted to the idea that like maybe I don't have to you know fire up a you know new React application every time I want to build an admin panel or some kind of internal tool, um, but I can still have the power of software um, and like write code where it's interesting 
uh, to kind of orchestrate the data sources that I need to orchestrate. Uh, so uh, anyway, I went, went on a bit of a rat hole there, uh, but uh, Retool is a platform that lets you build those types of internal tools uh, and uh, makes it a little bit easier and, and sort of restricts the amount of JavaScript and other code that you have to write uh, to the very specific business parts of your application. And you mentioned one of the key benefits being dry, the programming principle, don't repeat yourself. Um, for me, this is a really important aspect of all of the so-called yes code tools that we've been talking to and this kind of pattern that I've started to notice in my favorite developer tools coming on the scene is that you don't have to repeat yourself. You can focus on what matters in your application and leave the things that are repeated across all applications up to someone else. And I think internal tools is especially interesting because it's a area that pretty much every business application needs. So if you have a startup business or any kind of software business, there's going to be a support person who needs to be able to get in and monkey around. But mm -hmm. you don't have um, necessarily the resources or the same kind of customer impact when you build those tools to appropriately staff or, or spend on building them. So they often get neglected or they often get put to this point where nobody focuses on them until it's too late, until it's it's gone from, you know, being, taking your vitamins to taking, you know, a painkiller. You know, we have to fix this like terrible problem. So I think it's really interesting, uh, just the space overall. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about our shared experience. So you mentioned that you're in like the developer relations or advocacy uh, space. And I think that that gives you a unique, unique perspective on these kinds of developer tools. Because in a way, you know, the interface to a tool like this is the docs, is the actual developer experience, is how a developer you know, interacts with this in their editor, in their code base, with their team, how they collaborate, how they you know, do version control, how they roll things out. Um, and so I'd really love to know, you know, from you about what role the developer experience type of um, position or part of the team plays in the design and maintenance and overall development of these kinds of developer tools. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So uh, the the developer experience function at Retool is actually like relatively new, but uh, so we're we're kind of establishing some of the like feedback channels. But the the reason why the uh, team exists uh, is because uh, Retool is maybe distinct with within the space of like adjacent products or other products that are kind of solving this problem. In that uh, we don't want to be a low code platform. Like we're actually kind of not interested in taking code away so much as uh, focusing code in the areas where it actually matters. Uh, so I, a, a big part of like what I'm hoping to bring to uh, the product is sort of some empathy and uh, some field experience in um, you know, where, where the code writing experience has to be good, like what those extension points should look like, uh, what like the primitives and building blocks uh, should be. Um, so the uh, kind of challenge with this kind of product, though, is it exists sort of in a space between like a typical software development lifecycle where, you know, you're working in a project that is version controlled and, uh, you know, is something that you release with CI CD mechanisms, uh, where like building an application in uh, Retool today uh, is a little bit like build it like it's closer to creating a keynote presentation than it is to like developing a software application. It feels like that fast and easy. Mm -hmm. um, but it also kind of changes like how you view one of these applications, like from a, a sort of ROI or economic standpoint of like, you know, when it's as uh, cheap 
uh, as it were, to build a software application as it is to create a keynote presentation or a Google Doc. That kind of changes how you think about uh, creating that kind of software uh, because you can create so many of those applications and you can create new ones and uh, you can try something out and throw it away. Uh, so like there, there's some like models from software development that don't like neatly translate one-to-one in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some things that do need to translate and some of the parts of the sort of traditional SDLC that do need to kind of come into a tool like this. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of influence those interfaces in a, in a positive way that where if you are a web developer and you bring that uh, knowledge to this space, that it serves you well and that you kind of, and it helps give you a jumpstart in understanding like how the pieces in Retool fit together. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, in addition to kind of the, the DevRel stuff of like dealing with the community and, uh, you know, making that a good experience, uh, I think like uh, being the voice of the developer is particularly important uh, in a product like this. So when you said that, um, you know, kind of lowering the barrier um, of baking these apps, making them more akin to creating a Google Doc or a keynote presentation, that opens up the ability to create apps more frequently for things that you wouldn't traditionally create apps for. And exactly. I think that, that the way you said that is really, uh, really on point and is really part of the way that I feel as well about how I want to build tools for consumption by developers. Making tools in this style that give you these building blocks makes it so that things that weren't worth building before become worth building, and now there's so much more potential, uh, you know, impact the developer can have. And I think that that's kind of the the number one tool in the tool belt of a developer is a lever, right? Multiplying the force, you know, how much they can do with one person or a couple of people. Um, yeah, and yeah, for I, sure. I think that as we go through this, you know, advancement of technology and start to develop these layers of abstraction where we're giving out, you know, better and better tools, that lever only gets longer. Like you give much more um, potential to each individual developer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we, you, you already told us a little bit about, okay, it's internal tools. Um, and, you know, internal tools are wide ranging. They can be um, for a variety of different kind of applications. But I'd love to talk a little bit about why it's hard. You know, why is it taking until this point for there to be products like Retool on the market? Why didn't this exist before? And what are the major kind of stumbling blocks or maybe not stumbling blocks, but what are the major challenges that you have to overcome to make this a product that you can deliver to people so they can actually depend on you for this kind of functionality rather than have to build it all in-house? Yeah, for sure. So I... The question of like, well, what is it about this problem space that makes it hard is, is kind of tricky in that like the software that Retool is replacing isn't necessarily, you know, finger quotes hard in the sense mm-hmm. that it, it's not difficult necessarily to write, you know, a CRUD application using, you know, standard web development tools, um, but it is uh, time consuming. So it's the the problem that we're solving isn't really like the complexity of the software so much as it is. Uh, changing the sort of economic analysis of how much time it takes to actually create one of these tools. So uh, kind of the the axis that we're operating on there is like, how can we like drastically reduce the amount of time is re- that's mm-hmm. required to build these types of applications? So I think like that's uh, a big part of the challenge. And uh, the places where you tend to like pick up time and like reduce the time that's needed to build these applications is in... Uh, you know, creating sort of an all-inclusive, like vertically integrated uh, platform where 
uh, you know, the, all the uh, frameworks that you're using, uh, the developer tools that you're using, the infrastructure that you're deploying to are all part of a single uh, system. Um, because one of, one of the big uh, time sucks in traditional software development is assembling your stack and like gluing uh, lots of pieces together, maintaining your dependencies, uh, you know, updating Babel probably is 25% of like all web development time um, in <laughs> 2023, uh, if you ever need to update any of those dependencies. Uh, so that's a, a major uh, pickup. Um, and in the space of like internal tools, uh, the types of which that uh, people usually build in Retool, uh, there's just a ton of boilerplate. Like the, a lot of the JavaScript you write, a lot of the HTML and the CSS that you write is not terribly important to the ultimate mm -hmm. solution that you're building. Uh, so like taking away trivial choices that kind of don't matter within a given uh, problem space um, is also an area where you can pick up time and like save, uh, save developers time. Um, there's also, uh, you know, this idea of like, you know, an internal tool use case, especially um, it has mm -hmm. a lot of like application level services that probably need to exist. Like you're going to need to orchestrate multiple data sources. You're probably going to need uh, authentication and access controls uh, specific to your organization. So there's a lot of like sort of optimizations from like a services layer standpoint that uh, a product like Retool can make too, uh, to like sort of make those types of things uh, easier. So um, yeah, so I think like the uh, the the problem space uh, we're really attacking by like sort of understanding what developers are trying to do in this specific use case and like pretty uh, relentlessly attacking like the things that take a lot of time and don't add a lot of value to the ultimate uh, solution. And I wanted to ask you specifically in this uh, problem domain about three things, security, connecting to other tools and products, and how teams work together on internal tools. And so, you know, to start, maybe we can talk a little bit about security. You mentioned that the, the problem you're solving is reducing time. I also think about it as friction or, or tedious, tedious things as well. It's like, you know, you said assembling your stack. That's just a bunch of work that you have to do that doesn't actually give you any benefit. It's, it's just kind mm -hmm. of like a, sunk, like a sunk cost. You have to do it. Um, but what kind of um, benefits and or challenges with internal tooling do you face around, around security? Yeah, for sure. So uh, most of the times internal tools will tend to actually have like privileged access to backend data sources. Um, to the point where, you know, in the wrong hands, uh, like you could actually have a, a pretty major problem if the wrong person had access to an internal tool. So um, the uh, one of the things that it ends up being important is being able to deploy within secure environments. So uh, a lot of retail users like will take the platform, uh, there's sort of a containerized version of it, um, and they'll actually deploy it inside uh, their firewall um, such that um, they can still have the platform, but it's you know in a in a space where it's not. Oh, that's very interesting. The, uh, so I, I actually didn't know that about Retool, but you can actually effectively run your own Retool inside of your own environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's in really fact, cool. Like a lot of our bigger customers, that's uh, really the the model that they use. Um, another sort of model too is like uh, some folks will kind of build an agent, as it were, and like kind of run that agent inside their uh, infrastructure. And then uh, you know poke a hole out for API access to some of those internal uh, tools, but uh, more often uh, on like sort of on-premise deployments uh, in that way uh, is something mm -hmm. to do a lot. And then um, you know so if you're if you're a company integrating Retool, building internal tooling, 
you know, say I have a MySQL database, MongoDB, I've got some event streams, I've got, you know, 20 different data sources, and I've got 15 internal apps, you know, and maybe not internal apps, but 15 different services that make up my application. Um, mm -hmm. How do you handle, you know, not invented here kind of problems, right? Like, so I, I'm a developer working at a company, every single thing in my company is built by us. How do you make it so that the value proposition of pulling in this outside, you know, retool for our internal tooling infrastructure is effective when we have such a varied, or you know, even from customer to customer, you know, each of your each of your customers might be in different environments. So, how do you handle, you know, those types of connections? What's the what's the story there? Yeah. So, uh, one of the um, sort of core uh, design uh, considerations in retool is managing connections to different data sources. So mm -hmm. um, one of the key things that you'll do like in the platform is configuring uh, connections to these different data sources. So like out of the box, like you can uh, sort of integrate somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50, 60, somewhere in there, uh, different uh, flavors of databases, um, which allows you to sort of configure one set of uh, resources in a central location. And then like build lots of different applications that all kind of share those uh, connections. There's also like a shared query library um, in the product okay. where um, you can kind of uh, you know have this library of data access uh, you know services that you can build out and then also share those across uh, applications as well. Um, so what that uh, enables uh, both like functionally and from a security standpoint too is you kind of know like, all right, these are all the different data sources that we're connected to with a certain level of permissions. Um, here's all the different like queries that we're actually executing against that data. Um, so uh, you have like pretty good visibility into like what the surface area or like what is actually exposed um, in, your, in your tools. Uh, and there's also like compounding value as you build more tools. So like if you decide you wanna spin up a customer support tool, you already have like your Salesforce data query, your query that gets like account data from the production database or from the mirror or what have you. Uh, so like that, like orchestrating multiple data sources is sort of an essential activity for internal tool development. And uh, as such is kind of like a first order problem that is yeah. solved in the, in the tool. Excellent. And then the last one of these kind of like getting into the problem space is teams working with retool. So yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned that it's it's more similar to starting a Google Doc or um, you know doing a keynote presentation, but you also said um, that you're not trying to be a no code platform. So one of the problems that I see with no code style tools is they all reach a limit, and that limit tends to be when whatever the block language that they give you that's inside of their sandbox kind of hits up against the wall, you don't have the option to drop down to code. And so I'm wondering. Um, and also for collaboration, you know, collaborating on a keynote presentation versus collaborating on source code, while they're both possible, the experience developers expect around collaborating on source code or around collaborating on projects are like change sets with diffs and things like that. And I just mm -hmm. wonder what you think of the space, like how does Retool approach the developer experience of multiple developers in a team or multiple different people who are spread across different teams in an organization working on their internal tools? Right. Yeah, that's definitely a, a big part of the problem that we're trying to solve with like a anytime you have like a visual development environment where mm -hmm. you're not you're not always directly editing code, like you definitely uh, do edit code, uh, is like figuring out how to enable uh, collaboration. So uh, currently what uh, how the product works is like you can actually serialize out 
uh, the state of an application like into a text format that is version mm -hmm. controllable. Um, mm -hmm. And within the product itself, there's a bit of like a branching workflow that you can sort of say like, all right, for a specific uh, sort of page of this application, um, I can create my own uh, version of it, work on that, um, and then uh, not quite in the same Git flow way, but essentially like promote that version of the application to the currently live one. Mm -hmm. um, but I, truthfully, I think that's like probably the biggest area where Retool has to improve is like the Git flow is kind of the gold standard for what developers expect uh, to mm -hmm. be able to collaborate. Um, and uh, we definitely have, uh, you know, Git integration such that like you can uh, sort of uh, back up the uh, configuration of applications and uh, but like I would say that like the Git integration that exists in Retool today is closer to like a like a very good versioned backup system where they can kind of manage roll rollbacks mm -hmm. and like deploying across different environments and stuff like that um, versus like giving you the same granular uh, sort of like pull request review workflow, which mm -hmm. is I think something that a lot of developers covet too of wanting to be able to like all right here's the look at the change set see For exactly sure. what's happening on a granular level. Um, I think that is uh, today part of what you're giving up using a tool like Retool. And okay. generally, uh, like what we see happening as a practical matter is like uh, because the applications are decomposed into very small units in terms of uh, pages, uh, the collaboration more happens on those individual levels where you'll mm -hmm. be working on a small subsection or module of the application. Um, but it's uh, today pretty difficult for that. Uh, to collaborate in the same one, uh, but the uh, a major like pri uh, product priority in this uh, coming year is like, well, our, how do we actually have like a meaningful text-based representation of the state of the application sure. um, such that we can enable the Git flow? Because I don't think you can really beat that like in the sure. developer tool space right now. I think there's um, always some sort of a trade-off here too. Like it's 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 not um it's not for nothing. I think you, like you get a lot of benefits for it, and it's uh. But it is like, it's kind of like you can't have everything, right? This is always what a programmer mm -hmm. has to choose. You have to optimize. Are we optimizing for disk, memory, CPU? Like, what is it, right? Like, you can't have it all. Um, but keeping it in mind, it's actually very good to, to hear you say that this is a, a high priority for you know, the experience. And it also, it's without saying, knowing that you're at the company and that there's a team of people focused on developer experience, it's, it's showing through action that there's an investment in this area as well, which is a very good sign. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and actually, at the outside of the question too, you mentioned like extensibility, like how, like what do you do when you hit that wall? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to like just throw out briefly to you that like the uh, extensibility mechanism for uh, Retool is like a, like uh, some subs, uh, you know, your choice of actually embedding iframe content, or you can also like mm -hmm. build React components uh, that can extend the the framework itself. So. That actually is a, a major uh, focus in the coming year as well, is like improving those mm -hmm. extensibility points. Uh, but today, you definitely can write your own custom HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, uh, however you choose to emit it and then include it within like kind of greater application too. It's excellent. On the topic of like version control for this stuff, uh, just kind of as an aside, if there is a technical representation or a textual representation of of the thing, um, getting to the the diffability of these types of things is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, at GitHub, they have a service called Render. Uh, this is kind of like an internal, um, you know, kind of functionality of how the system works. But if you've ever gone to like a, a GitHub page and you've seen like a diff of a map, like a GeoJSON file, or like a diff of a LaTeX file, or a diff yeah. of a whatever, like you know, all these different things, 
they basically broke that out into kind of like a service that you can add modularly, um, basically render it to a bitmap, right? If you can render the thing using some text into something that looks visual, then you can diff two visual images, right? So there's definitely like prior art for this kind of stuff. And I, I find it really interesting. Oh, yeah. And that actually is like part of the inspiration, I think, like for this product development process is like we do need a visual diff. Like we, we need mm-hmm. like some way to show like this is the previous state, this is the next state. Uh, so I think it's going to be a little different than uh, viewing like a code diff. Um, but also mm-hmm. like at the same time, um, like the the textual format that we that we sort of serialize the application to like could be much more functional in a lot of different ways. Like I don't know if you've ever worked on like a iOS project where you have like interface builder files that you have to. Oh yeah, they're like um, those giant control. XML messes, right? Yeah, they, so like Retool is uncomfortably close to that right now. Like it's uh, there is a text based format, but it's not like terribly useful to look at yep. uh, right now. Um, so that that's like part of the the thing we're trying to solve for too is like how can we make that text based diff actually useful and functional? That's really interesting. Um, I also found recently I've been doing some exploration in an area called PLC, which is programmable logic controllers, and I came across this language called Ladder Logic, which is a visual language that electrical engineers use to program programmable logic controllers, you know, mm-hmm. microcomputers that are embedded in real time systems, and. This ladder logic is totally visual. I mean, it has a textual representation, but the textual re- representation is basically useless. Um, and you have to edit it in like an IDE. But the way that mm. it displays, and this, I think that there's a lot of parallels here uh, with what you're telling me about Retool, because there's a lot of reasons why these trade-offs are made. And essentially, an electrical engineer understands circuitry and logic operations, so they can open this up in their IDE really easily. And without having to know how to write code, they can visually get a representation of how this thing works with ladder logic. Additionally, mm. the maintenance crew, the people who work in the factories where these PLCs are embedded, are able to debug this stuff because it's all visual, uh, visual in, the, in the IDE. And lastly, something that I thought was very similar to what you said about the collaboration around this is that it's broken down into lots of small modules. So one individual screen is never actually that complicated. Therefore, yeah. you don't have the same problem as a monolithic you know, Ruby on Rails app that's serving, you know, millions of page views that has 2 million lines of code and having to know where everything is. If you, if you keep it modular and you follow things like using simple components and reusing those components, you know, the, the trade-off on collaborating on any one individual component is less important because it's not that common that three people need to work on the same component at the same time. Instead, you're looking at, you know, maybe one developer is looking at five or six components and they make a change set across all of them. And at the end of the day, but then at the higher level within the visual interface, you can see those changes. And it's it's not about each individual screen, but it's more about the kind of higher level thing that, that's happening. I, I just, that parallel, the way you said it yeah. was so striking to me because this was a very recent thing that I learned about this PLC and uh, ladder logic situation. Yeah, so. I definitely didn't know about that, but that, that does seem like a very similar uh, like usage pattern. And the um, and and this like pattern of actually developers like decomposing applications into very small screens and pages um, is sort of emergent from users for more so than like something that Retool initially uh, designed for. But it's ra- it's rapidly become a best practice of like the smaller you can decompose down the constituent elements of the app, uh, the more maintainable it is, the more easy it is to collaborate. So th- there does seem to be some like underlying core truth there. So the next thing I want to talk about here is actually about the product and how you define it. You know, what are the boundaries of it? Um, I think a way to start with this is was Retool initially intended, I don't know if you know or not, but was it originally intended to be focused only on internal tools or was it 
intended to be more of like a generic app builder. And then today, um, you know, what's in and what's out? How does the company decide what to prioritize and what to, you know, exclude or, or, or avoid? Because as choosing what's in as much as what's out is important in this situation. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I do know the first bit, which is uh, Retool definitely was uh, conceived at the outset as a, a builder for like internal facing tools and software. Um, I think the like building a consumer level uh, application um, that uh, needs to kind of have like very distinct uh, user interaction patterns and be sort of hyper optimized for like page loads and, uh, you know, sort of novel uh, presentational elements uh, is not something that was ever kind of in scope for Retool as a product. And it's actually like one of the good ways to sort of say like, is this a project that could benefit from Retool or not? Um, if you mm -hmm. do need to have that like really super fine-grained control over uh, CSS and like what you're sending to the client, um, then Retool probably isn't going to be a very good uh, choice for that. Um, and also like focusing on internal tools like helps you like cheat in a lot of like helpful ways in terms of like what features you include in the product, uh, like uh, supporting SSO, like building access controls, um, having like a set of UI components that are very focused on like data presentation and validation um, and those like CRUD workflows that are very common um, in an internal tools scenario. Uh, and kind of being able to optimize for that very specific uh, usage pattern is part of like where the speed of retool comes from. Like could, because we kind of, uh, get to pre-optimize for like the type of application we know you're going to build, um, that helps us do a lot more helpful things in, from a design standpoint, uh, which kind of uh, dovetails into like what's in and what's out. Uh, so I number uh, sort of at a very high level, um, there's this uh, there's a sort of tension that exists in this type of space where um, do we want to make the tool more accessible so that like perhaps non-developers can get in and do work in this tool? Uh, or do we want to sort of embrace uh, the fact that like, nope, uh, you know, you do have to be a software developer uh, to use this tool. And uh, Retool has very much gone in the latter direction where uh, we assume that the user of Retool is a software developer that understands, you know, how their data sources work. Um, and and as such, like we make different decisions about um, like this part of the application is just going to be JavaScript. And that's that's okay. Like we assume that you know the users of Retool will be okay uh, writing code in this instance, or SQL queries, or uh, what have you, um, and that uh, sort of impacts how much investment there is in like uh, visual components. So, so Retool also has like a, a workflow builder where you can build like cron jobs or like backend services um, in a, a development environment that is visual, but it, uh, it, it consists of like larger chunks of JavaScript than you would see in like a Zapier or something uh, like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a reflection of like, we expect developers to use this tool versus um, non-technical folks that we're trying to enable. Um, so I think like that's maybe one uh, major decision point about what's in and what's out. Um, the other uh, decision point is, you know, there's other features that we could have added to Retool to make it more suitable as like a general purpose app builder. Uh, like maybe there's different investments or different decisions you could make about the layout system, styling, um, those types of things where if we wanted Retool to be something like a Wix or like some kind of thing that was intended to build like a, a public facing uh, application. Uh, but because we know like we're building uh, data-driven applications, uh, usually for like an internal or uh, 
very business specific audience. Uh, we make different decisions based on like what we feel is important for that uh, that crowd. So um, hopefully that starts to kind of get at some of the like decision points there. I, I love that answer. And I love the way that you're choosing your customers. An example I love to give about this is, uh, you know, an app that many people have used before, Slack. Um, Slack is often abused and used as a community channel. Um, mm-hmm. But Slack's not built for communities. And it is not. You know, Slack is giving up on a huge market of people who build communities and they want to use Slack, but they just have focus and they say, we're not doing that. And what that means is they don't have to build things like moderation or anti-abuse because in a company setting, if there's someone behaving poorly or they're abusing the system, they get fired. You don't need that to be built into your software tool. And similarly with Retool, when you're talking about we're building internal tools, you know, if you build for a public audience, you know, the things you have to prioritize are different. You know, visualization, making it look better, more custom interfaces. But you're, mm-hmm. you know your customer is somebody who needs to look at the data and get some work done as fast as possible. Also, you know your customer 100%. is a developer who wants to deploy the internal tool as fast as possible. Um, so I, I really love that. Um, so I'm a developer. I love building things. Um, I haven't actually had the opportunity to use Retool at my work. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about, you know, if I were to want to implement my internal tooling with Retool? I'm a Rails developer. I have a My, uh, you know, Postgres database, MySQL database. You know, I use Redis. Mm-hmm. I use, you know, stuff like that. Like basically any standard web stack, you know, uh, LAMP from like the back, the, the old days, right? But um, what would it be like for me on the first run? Like I come in, I'm like, okay, I want to get going on this thing. What's that experience like? Yeah, uh, usually the first stop is you configure connections to like the data sources that you're going to interact with, uh, because like the applications you build in Retool are pretty data centric and are about kind of uh, moving bits from one place to another. Um, like if we sort of assume like maybe you have a Rails app and you have a Postgres database that is kind of your primary application data store, um, you would maybe do one of two things. You could actually configure like a Postgres uh, connection such that you could talk directly to the database and you could execute queries against it. Um, or you could actually build like a REST API connector where like if you had like a pretty important layer of like controls and logic on top of your database that was exposed via API, that might be the better like point at which to access that data. Um, mm-hmm. So you can configure one of those uh, resources. Um, and then the uh, Experience once you get into like uh, building a internal tool or some application on top of it is um, like you you tend to go through like the the letters of CRUD um, usually starting with uh, read so you could drag in a component uh, to display uh, some uh, form of data um, so a, the probably the most common use case for a retool right now is like customer support tools where you can kind of interact mm-hmm. with account data and like manage you know payments or like account status and, and stuff like that. Um, so you would uh, be able to uh, drag in some kind of uh, table or list view component and uh, sort of point it at a data source. And uh, for very basic configurations, like you'll actually get something displaying in the table right away. Um, if you've connected to the database uh, directly, um, Retool can actually like introspect the schema and say like, all right, here's all the different like columns that exist in this database. And I can give you a user interface that like shows you a sortable table on top of your database uh, right away. Uh, so uh, you can start like reading data uh, right away, um, and then like uh, if you get to the point where you want to create a form, um, you can also create a form that like looks at your schema and says like, all right, these are the tables. The, these fields are required, 
Um, and it helps you like generate a, a form for like create and update operations uh, based on the shape of your of your data. Uh, so the processes uh, of building the app is largely drag and drop and configuration for probably the first like 80% of what you need to build. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, you'll start to realize like, oh, I might need to customize this query a little bit. Or uh, a very common thing is you'll need to transform data in some way. Um, and that's like the most common place where like JavaScript starts to uh, become useful is like, all right, I'm going to write some JavaScript that sits on top of this data source transforms it in some way, maybe mashes it up with a second data source, and then returns a data set that I can then work with in my uh, user interface. Uh, so uh, the JavaScript, uh, you don't tend to start to do until business logic is involved in some way. Mm -hmm. Like there aren't usually, there isn't usually a ton of JavaScript you have to write for like button clicks and sorting tables and stuff like that. Um, so uh, most of like the construction of the interface is visual. Um, and then once you start getting into like transforming data or like implementing some business logic or a workflow, that's when uh, you start to write JavaScript to do that kind of stuff. A couple of cases I've had with building internal tools, like you uh, kind of said, was around customer support. Um, and I wanted to ask you specifically about a pattern, like a problem that I come up against a lot of times, which is in the beginning, I build an internal tool for doing customer support and it's quick and dirty. and it becomes essential very quickly and mm -hmm. people start to push the limits of it. Uh, maybe they want to start doing bulk actions or they want to be able to move through screens a lot faster. Um, I had one particular internal tool that I built where an agent, a customer support agent was going through, you know, tens of thousands of records a day and, you know, the page load time was one and a half seconds. And so it just like was insanely slow and wasteful of their time. Until I went through and like rebuilt everything using like you know background requests and batches, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder if you know some of the benefit in the developer experience is around either you know making bulk or or speed of of actual use case easier. And then also you mentioned the business logic. Uh, you know, similarly, adding things that are not in the domain of your app. So the domain of my app might be having account signups and letting users log in and access their profile. What's kind of not in the domain of my app is understanding which accounts are spammy and which ones aren't. And I would relegate that to kind of like internal tools territory. But I wonder if you have any built-in stuff for that or, or patterns for that or ways that, that Retool makes that problem set much easier. Yeah. So um, from, from like a like sort of performance standpoint, like th that is also like a, a journey that most Retool customers have been on too of like, it starts with something quick and dirty for a s simple use case. And then uh, to the point I think you made well of, you know, it very quickly becomes a critical tool because they're like, oh, this is great. I can actually edit data in production and I, and I you know, can, I'm empowered to take action myself. Um, I don't need quickly, a production console, right? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Because I don't need what, to like ask a developer tool. to like run a script against Bef uh, against Before the bot. tool, it was logged into the production console. <laughs> Yeah, like our, this laptop in the office is on the VPN that lets you like run that query or whatever. But I, but yeah, so like it sort of ramps up in uh, usefulness and and like critical nature to the business. Um, and sort of the first thing that folks usually hit is what you mentioned, which is like a performance gap where like, you know, maybe at the beginning this query was returning a hundred results. Um, now like our folks want to like look at tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of like rows in a table as a part of their uh, workflow. Uh, and uh, that's actually why we like uh, 
you know, within the next couple of weeks, we're releasing a new version of the table component uh, that uh, has been kind of like built for that use case where, you know, we know that we knew that we had to do like DOM virtualization and a lot of other stuff um, on top of our table component to actually make it useful for giant result sets, which, uh, you know, internal tools uh, use cases do have a legitimate need to like ingest and, and process like very large uh, result sets. Uh, so we uh, definitely have like built some of those affordances into like the UI builder side of things, mm-hmm. like understanding that uh, we do need to deal with like large volumes of data. Uh, and uh, we also kind of know from experience that the easiest path to set these applications up initially is usually select star from table. And like, we need to be like ready for that and like kind of implement pagination um, on the client side and like, and do what we can to help like nudge people in a, in a more productive uh, direction. Um, one thing that you brought up that we, I don't think we do, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if it's something that we explore in the future, which is like, we also do know that there's like uh, business logic around spam detection and like looking at data for different kinds of patterns. Um, and uh, certainly that's work you can do in Retool, but I, I wouldn't say there's anything at the platform level that kind of helps you do that at this point. Uh, it is very much like a lower level tool where you can write your SQL query or some JavaScript logic that will examine your data source and look for you know suspicious activity. Um, but at this point, we don't uh, necessarily delve into that space of like helping you with the business logic side. Yeah, sort of what I was getting at with that question was not necessarily like, do you do spam? but I could see it being really interesting to have some sort of a layer in Retool where some of that business logic that's common across many businesses is like easy to pull off the shelf um, mm-hmm. or potentially working with partners that provide some of that yeah. business logic. So for example, if you think about like content moderation where you check content and make sure it's not offensive or you make sure it's not copyright or you make sure it's not um, inappropriate or something like that, um, there are tons of APIs out there that do that kind of stuff. and. You know, integrating it as a data source or as a you know an API call or you know similar. I was just wondering if there was any pattern of that happening. And on the like fraud protect prevention, etc. Um, if you haven't seen it before, another really interesting tool to check out uh, is this tool called Sift. Uh, sure, I definitely yeah. recommend you check them out. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor yeah, there. Very cool stuff. Um, yeah, I imagine like what we'll see is like a sort of the data pipeline tier of the application. Uh, being like a little more extensible um, and feeling a little bit more like a middleware stack than just like, you know, set of resources that you can pipe into your application. So we were talking about like the developer experience getting started. And so say I'm evaluating Retool, I try it out, I go through the experience that you were talking about, and I'm debating whether or not, you know, I want to build in-house versus, uh, you know, using an external tool. And there are the trade-offs, like every decision has trade-offs. Some Mm -hmm. of the trade-offs are positive, some are negative. What would you say to somebody in my position, uh, you know, making a decision between build versus buy, where the buy side is retool and the build is just you know your own homegrown thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, you're you're 100 right. There's like uh, you know every decision you make is just about like which package of trade offs is most attractive, like for your uh, particular use case. And I think um, I kind of encourage folks to think about building solutions to problems on kind of a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, there's like spreadsheets where like, you know, you can get a lot of uh, work done, like inside the context of a spreadsheet and unstructured data. Um, And there's lots of different work you can do there. Um, Kind of further up the spectrum, there's, uh, you know, 
like Airtables and Zapiers and like uh, these tools that like are very good at automation and like can layer some, start to layer some logic on top of unstructured data. Then um, on the other far end of the spectrum, there's like 100% custom code that you build from scratch. Uh, and kind of in the middle uh, of those uh, those parts of the spectrum is where Retool really uh, like does a good job. So um, if you need kind of a workflow that is codified in software, uh, where like the unstructured nature of a spreadsheet is actually like detrimental, where you know fat fingering data actually you know would have some pretty uh, dire consequences. Um, if you also need to be interacting with uh, production data. Um, like that's typically something that in like a, a no code tool or like spreadsheets, um, that's going to be like a hard wall you hit at some point, which is actually like interacting with your production uh, data sources. Um, and if, uh, you know, you value sort of speed, utility, um, and agility more so than um, like creating like a very polished, like user facing product that needs to differentiate on user experience. Uh, those are kind of the attributes of a project that re where Retool is going to be a pretty good fit. And you can, uh, you know, I know like uh, I hesitate to use terms such as like 10x faster, but like, you know, as a web developer, having built a lot of these applications, um, if there is like a, a use case where the, this package of trade-offs makes sense, you can build these types of tools like about 10x faster than you could like by spinning it up using create uh, react app or like building what it, with whatever your favorite uh, stack is but like there, there are some very real trade-offs and the trade-offs that like would make you maybe not want to consider retool are um, if you do need very granular control over user experience if it's going to be something that is external facing that impacts your brand uh, today probably retool isn't a very good choice for that um, or if uh, you actually uh, don't need a software layer, um, and you don't need code, um, then maybe like an Airtable is actually uh, actually better. But uh, mm -hmm. for in that sort of sweet spot of like, I do need to interact with production data. I do need logic on top of that data. Um, but and I and I want user interface. But also like, I'm pretty okay with just a utilitarian user interface. Um, Retool tends to like give you a lot of leverage there in a way that you wouldn't have if you built from scratch. Something that kind of stands out to me about this too is. Is the internal tool that you're building going to provide strategic value to the business, right? Um, if you know you talk about like the customer service workflow, um, mm -hmm. I can't imagine being at a company that has 30, 60, 100 customer support reps where they're all working in spreadsheets. You know, the the strategic sure. value of creating a tool that that follows a defined process of software is just astronomically valuable, um, and I think that that's like a very like clear trade off for me. The, the other side of it is, you know, the cost of building it, building it in-house. And I've seen, you know, in companies where everything is invented here, um, you know, entire teams form around an internal mm -hmm. support tool. Um, it's, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, taking 15 engineers and putting them back onto the main product of the business could be a better use of, you know, people hours, right? Um, yeah, 100%. Another benefit that I see here, and you already said this with the, the data table view, um, is that if I use something like Retool or any kind of yes code tool, something that I'm bringing in external features into my app, is that I get updates for free or close to free, right? Um, in the use case that I had before of this like not performant internal tool that I built, when it became popular, I had to go out and build the thing. If Retool is successful and has many customers and lots of users, chances are many of the benefits that those other customers get will be valuable to me as well. And 
little to no cost, I get them, you know, additionally. So I, I, I love uh, everything you said about this, but those are a couple of, a couple of things I was, I definitely saw as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think like there's, uh, you know, developers tend to underestimate the value of not maintaining infrastructure. Uh, oh my God, like yes. internally, uh, so internally at Twilio back in the day, like uh, there, they, there used to be a rule about like no free puppies where like engineers were not allowed to bring in like new applications or like new services or languages into the stack unless like they were very sure that they had the capacity to like care for those applications, maintain them and like ensure dependencies are up to date. Uh, and I, I think it is as a result of developers uh, feeling as if like maintenance is free and like, you know, having a new application in the stack somewhere uh, is zero cost. Uh, but uh, that's definitely not true. And it's, it's useful to have a service that you're not responsible for maintaining at that level, for sure. I can relate to that like so, so well. So when I first started at um, one of my previous jobs, it seemed that every team and every person in the company had their own little pet project app that did something internally. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I needed my own internal app that did my job for me. And that was a mistake. It all worked yeah. out fine in the end, but it was it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a proliferation of like the internal tool built in like Elixir because somebody is like super hot on framework X, Y, or Z. Uh, but yes, I, there there is definitely a cost associated with it. So the next thing I want to dig into is really the structure of Retool and something that is really you know really important to me and something that I, I is kind of like the cornerstone of my being as a developer. Um, I spent a lot of time helping developers, you know, p- helping people get into software development. And if you ask anybody who I've mentored, they'll tell you that I always talk about abstraction, 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 abstraction. And it's not just abstraction for abstraction's sake, but the idea of choosing the right abstraction for the job and designing. Like I, I have nothing but respect for companies like Apple, where you have iOS and you have this amazing developer experience where you can build pretty much anything for a mobile phone. You know, the the best engineers to me are the ones who like designed those APIs, right? I just can't even fathom to sit down and try to design like the iOS SDK. Like I, I have no no clue how I would go about that. But uh, my, my point being is that I, I think the abstractions that we choose in our tools make or break the system. And I would love to hear kind of what are the abstractions that I, as a developer using Retool, need to know about? What are the, the kind of top-level primitives that are exposed to me? And maybe if you have uh, insight or if you, if you have something like this, what are the guiding principles behind those um, abstractions or, or primitives within the application? Yeah, um, I can definitely speak to it uh, a little bit. I, uh, I find myself wishing that um, some of my colleagues um, on the design side were here because I know they will, would speak passionately about Kind of how we uh, chose the the primitives and the abstractions that we uh, that we chose, but uh, the uh, the core building blocks like within the world of a retool app like are your resources as they are uh, known, which are just like all the different like data sources that you can connect to, uh, and then um, on top of those is like the uh, concept of a query, um, and a query is maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, squishier in Retool than it might be in other environments because like queries can actually do a lot of different things. Um, but essentially they, they act as like the data access layer that orchestrates like all these different resources that you've connected uh, to, the, to the platform. Uh, and the assumption is that an application, um, which is, you know, one pane of glass that a uh, user can interact with, 
um, is interacting with a library of queries that orchestrates multiple resources and uses the uh, component system that uh, Retool provides to sort of uh, display and interact uh, with, uh, with the data. So uh, the data access layer um, and then applications using the uh, component system are kind of the, the very high level abstractions. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they sort of replace uh, a lot of different like parts of a traditional like web development stack, like your API layer um, in a web dev- in like a typical web application is going to be you know resources and queries. Um, your mm-hmm. front end part of the application is going to be you know the component system and runtime that uh, Retool provides to like render your application. Uh, so I, I think like those are maybe the most important primitives, like maybe for somebody just getting started um, to to sort of grok. Um, and they are drawn from like what we assume the uh, most common usage patterns are going to be for Retool, which is orchestrating multiple data sources in some kind of uh, in some kind of structured way where a software layer needs to manage uh, that the like access to those resources, but a human has to be involved in sort of directing that work and being able to you know provide the intelligence to understand what needs to happen. Where, when you use the component system to build these UIs for, you know, internal users, where does that run? Is that, you know, I lay out my uh, components for a screen or something and put it onto Retool and then my customer support agent ends up on a retool.com URL and is accessing it there? Or is it, um, you know, in the case where I'm like running it on an enterprise version inside my VPN, like they go to myapp.com slash admin slash whatever, and somehow retool, it appears, you know, those screens appear there. Like, what's the deployment look like? Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of like uh, deployment of the infrastructure, so uh, retool running in the cloud um, does kind of work as you described where there's a retool.com domain. There's actually like a subdomain for every like retool instance on retool.com. And then uh, that web application, which is a full stack JavaScript application, like node, TypeScript, uh, that sort of thing. Um, will actually uh, render those pages that your uh, support agents or other end users will be um, interacting with. Um, In the instance where you're actually running Retool um, in your own infrastructure, um, you would probably be using uh, one of our like containerized uh, options for deploying Retool, um, say like, uh, you know, a set of five Docker containers, uh, which is kind of what it takes to run a Retool app um, on-premise. You'll be deploying those containers within your infrastructure, um, you would assign them, you know, whatever uh, domain name internally you would you would want to assign to like the IP mm-hmm. associated with like the web server, um, you know, component of that infrastructure, um, and you'd uh, serve the applications from there. In terms of like the uh, client side uh, architecture, like when uh, uh, how a retool works is like there's a visual IDE like in the browser that you interact with as a developer to compose your application. Uh, and that is a React application that you're interacting with and doing the dragging and dropping and what have mm-hmm. you. Um, when you are finished building the application, there's like a sort of production or preview mode um, that your end users will interact with. Um, and that application ingests like a, you know, a machine-readable sort of declarative format of like, this is all the stuff that needs to be in my application. Um, here are the JavaScript uh, functions that need to be invoked at various uh, points. And then there's uh, like a runtime component that uh, ingests that uh, file and then renders the user interface in a way in the way that you uh, sort of defined as a as a user. So a lot of like the 
heavy lifting in a retool application happens like in that uh, runtime layer, uh, which behind the scenes uses, uh, it, it is a React application and it uses Redux to kind of power the different data bindings and other uh, dynamic bits if you're user interface. So it is like a thick client architecture mm -hmm. and a lot of like the shared queries and resource connections are being executed on the, on the server. Cool. You told me that the audience that you're going after is clearly developers. You know, we expect mm -hmm. that you're comfortable writing queries, you're comfortable, you know, using components, that type of thing. Um, but who exactly, like what developer exactly are you targeting, you know, internal tools teams? Um, do most companies, I mean, I, I don't know, I haven't worked at lots and lots of companies. I've got like a handful of experiences, but um, I don't know that a lot of companies have a team who this is their job. So whose job is this in the company and who do you go after? Um, and how do you kind of relate to that, that persona? Yeah. So, um, somewhat paradoxically, like they're like the, t the companies that do have like sort of dedicated internal tools, um, engineering teams, um, like are actually less excited at the prospect of retool because they're kind of already doing this work already, like in, you know, whatever, uh, web application development stack they're using, um, they could probably, you know, make a lot they could probably go a lot faster and like accommodate a lot more requests from their customers if they use something like Retool um, versus you know ingesting a feature and then doing a sprint to uh, you know create that feature. Um, but uh, the most uh, common usage pattern we have is that uh, there is a software development team. They are maintaining some kind of external uh, facing uh, software application. Uh, a need emerges for internal uh, tooling as it as it often does. Uh, because there's uh, some tension where like internal teams need to get access to production data or operate the application in some way. Uh, and without an internal tools uh, capacity, um, that either doesn't happen or it happens through like one-off scripts or, or things like that. There's, there's lots of different ways that people work around the lack of internal tools. Um, but uh, typically a uh, developer on one of those external facing applications has a need of like, Wow, I really need to create this internal tools capacity, but I can't like spin up an entire new like web application stack from scratch to create this internal tool. Um, so Retool ends up being a really good way for that type of developer to augment the application software they're already building without having to like maintain an entire new uh, web application stack. Um, so that that's maybe the most common uh, scenario. Um, but there mm -hmm. are also like internal operations teams at a company that. Um, maybe you are the support team and you and you know that, oh man, we really need this type of tool to interact with this system. Um, so retool can kind of be adopted from that side as well, like uh, from an operations team that understands that they need internal uh, internal software. And then they sort of figure out how to make the software development side happen, either with shared resources internally, uh, contract resources, or sometimes even staffing up like with one or two folks that can, uh, that can write code. Um, so the the ideal uh, sort of the core customer is that full stack web developer uh, who is maintaining an application but needs to create that operations layer on top of the software they're building. This makes me feel like there's a pattern here of seeing companies that are great companies with great teams, some of the best engineers or just best business practices, and they do decide to invest in internal tooling because they see it's a strategic investment and they see the value there, and. Unfortunately, most companies just don't have the resources to do that. And uh, something like Retool makes it so that's more accessible to them. 
Um, and another you know big value here is when you say with like the customer success or support team, you know maybe they're not made up of engineers, um, but somebody on there might be a web developer. And without needing to hire an entire team or divert an entire team effort into building tooling, they can pick up something like Retool and you know with the development skills that they have, make something that you know effectively they're paying whatever it costs to buy Retool instead of hiring an entire or spending an entire team's budget. Right? It's it's a huge cost savings in that regard. Yeah, we we definitely see like the pattern of like a scrappy uh, technical leader who can write some SQL queries um, being able to like get a lot farther than they would uh, otherwise. Uh, like it's it's rare that a fully non technical person can like effectively deploy and use Retool to build something, uh, but sure. it sort of magnifies the impact of any of anybody that has uh, sort of you know any kind of technical skill to be able to build this kind of stuff. Can you share any success stories, um, you know, a company or companies that are using Retool specific, like using it especially well, um, or um, and or any surprising or unexpected use cases that you've seen? Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the sort of bread and butter uh, usage use cases that I've seen is like uh, Brex, which is a, you know, a company that provides like, uh, you know, corporate cards and, uh, you know, financial services uh, typically geared towards uh, startups. Um, they have a pretty like heavy operational component to their business where they need to be able to like process refunds and uh, like do lots of like back office type workflows um, that sort of help support their primary business. Um, so they've built out a ton of uh, you know maybe dozens of you know small tools on Retool that help like their operations team kind of uh, manage those uh, those types of things. So that that is like maybe one of the canonical like customers that I always think of of like. Mm-hmm. There's a heavy operational uh, tier. Uh, maybe another customer would be like a DoorDash, where they actually have a ton of like logistics and like back office uh, stuff that they have to manage in order to like run their business. Um, so they use Retool uh, to build like uh, you know lots of different types of uh, applications. But uh, there's one that they use like for their dashers um, to kind of manage rewards programs and kind of, and like the sort of human, um, you know, contractor management side of, of that uh, business. Um, I think like the, um, and then the second piece of the question, I'm trying, I'm struggling to remember the second part of the question besides that. Um, just what, were there any unexpected or surprising oh, sure. uh, use cases? Yeah, for sure. So um, the more unexpected use cases um, for Retool tend to be like when people have sort of gotten hooked on the platform and they really like building uh, software on it, um, then they do actually start building some like external uh, use cases where they're building like public facing software uh, using Retool. Um, sometimes like deploying uh, sort of themselves, whether it's like on a fly.io or some other like hosting service that lets you uh, sort of take these containers and uh, put them on a, a public facing uh, domain. Uh, and from that, we've seen a couple interesting ones. Uh, like there's a, the Brewfinder app is probably the highest traffic public. Uh, Retool app where uh, you know there's a uh, a developer who just like kind of built out um, a brewery sort of uh, map application that kind of showed for any given area where you can find local uh, craft brews. Uh, and then there's also like a kind of interesting more business focused hacks too, where um, we have uh, customers who have built out like uh, sort of contractor portals that are public that like. Um, you know, realtors say would like log into and see like the status of all their properties. Um, so for lots of like data driven use cases, 
um, even outside those core internal tools use cases. Uh, we're starting to see retool pop up a little bit there as well. Excellent. Yeah. Um, definitely would like to see a link to that uh, Brewfinder thing so I can check yeah, it out. Yeah, I'll track later. it down. I'll see if I can uh, include it. Um, and then I'll put I'll a link in the, in the description if, I, uh, if we do have one. Um, okay. So I just wanted to talk uh, one last thing, which is uh, about the future direction and um, kind of where you, where you see retool going. Um, and especially from your position in the company, I think the better way to ask this is, where do you want to push Retool towards um, in your role in developer experience? What do you want to bring to the company and how do you want to uh, you know, see it evolve? Yeah, so uh, the place where I really want to see it evolve is to kind of move closer towards uh, like primitives and uh, API designs that take more advantage of the fact that we are working with developers. Um, I think like developers have the capacity to uh, maybe grok some slightly more complicated, uh, like especially like design and layout systems than what we expose um, through the product uh, today. Um, so like, I'd love to see us, you know, ha have like a flexbox uh, style layout and like take advantage of the fact that developers know um, how that works theoretically um, and can uh, at least like pick up on those types of primitives. Uh, I'd also like to uh, see the collaboration experience improve, uh, kind of like we've talked about. Um, I think like there's a really high bar for, um, you know, collaboration with the the Git flow, um, which has kind of become critical to a lot of developers' uh, you know way that they work. Um, and to the extent we can uh, embrace that and or like bring some of those patterns into the product, um, that's something that I would like to uh, like to see happen. Um, and then I also just think there's a lot more we can do from uh, like a developer experience standpoint around making code a more first-class citizen in the uh, experience. Like if you use Retool today, uh, JavaScript code kind of like, uh, you know, it is useful in that like the autocomplete tends to be like really good uh, because like we know everything about the state of the application. Uh, it's very mm -hmm. easy to create like data bindings and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, for like more complex JavaScript code, um, I think there's more we have to do to sort of uh, make JavaScript code in a retool application act like more of a code base where, you know, I can set up a test suite or a test harness like for my discrete JavaScript functions and, you know, have some confidence that uh, my event handlers and other JavaScript logic are, are going to work and be able to test them in isolation outside the scope of uh, my application. So. Um, I think like some of those uh, those features that bring the uh, you know development lifecycle of a retool app a little bit closer to uh, what we're used to in uh, traditional software development is kind of where I'm going to push. Excellent. This has been great. Thank you so much um, for all of your uh, all of your wisdom and sharing all of this with us. In closing, um, you know, as the Yes Code podcast, we love to talk about things that are Yes Code style. Do you have uh, anything that you've been really interested in um, that you'd like to share um, with the audience that we should check out? I have a couple just from our conversation, but uh, maybe maybe let me know if you if there's anything you want to share. Of uh, just stuff to check out. Um, I the I mean, like everyone, right? Like everyone's uh, trying out uh, GPT three and various related uh, machine learning AI uh, APIs. Um, I've actually been super interested in the space of like natural language programming and like describing business logic in English. Uh, and that, that's been something that's been uh, super fun. So 
Um, if folks haven't been uh, trying GPT-3 for to generate uh, code, uh, definitely try that. Um, also, like in the next, uh, probably by the time uh, maybe this podcast is released, we'll have to see. Um, we'll also have like a block in Retool's like workflow uh, product um, where you can actually start to do that. You can provide natural language oh, prompts really and say cool. like, if this is the case, then you should do this or like take this set of categories and filter them in, in this way. Um, and that has been like really cool. Um, it's been, uh, you know, I, I tend to like, I write code because I have to. Um, I, I will, I would love to see a world world where like I can express my ideas, um, in a way that makes sense to me versus like having to, you know, bang a computer over the head until it understands what I'm trying to tell it. So I'm really excited at the prospect of being able to use natural language for programming style tasks. That's very interesting. And, um, it's very cool that there's going to be a feature where you can actually do this. You know, my experience with natural language, so-called natural language programming is like cucumber business testing, which is like not, mm-hmm. not a good experience at all. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that sounds very interesting. Um, I had two things that came up um, that I jotted down to share related to the topics of the conversation. The first is a tool called Pipedream. Um, if you haven't seen Pipedream, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, if you're feeling limited by Zapier, um, it's a very code forward, if this, then that style uh, environment um, I've been using it a lot recently and I really like it. Um, and then the second one is that you mentioned, you know, making collaboration in retool, you know, a stronger, a stronger thing in the future. Um, I recently came across a very interesting tool. Yes. Code style, uh, product that's focused on building multiplayer applications. Um, so maybe not exactly, um, what you're talking about, but I think it's, it's worth looking at, um, for you and for the audience as well. Um, it's called Live Blocks, and they expose primitives mm. for creating applications that are effectively you have a document and you have multiple people in real time uh, collaborating on the document. It handles like network problems. It handles uh, you know reconciling merge conflicts that happen with latency and things like that. But it it basically makes it so if you wanted to build an application like um, like Figma, um, you don't have to do all the heavy lifting of the underlying interaction components. You just build the you know design part of it. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting thing. Um, so thank you so much, Kevin. This has been awesome. How can people get a hold of you know you and Retool, and where should they go to learn more? Yeah, for sure. So um, you can find me on uh, Twitter for now. I, I imagine, like, unless it's blown up um, by the time you hear this, I'm just at Kevin Winery um, on uh, Twitter. Um, if you want to uh, keep up with uh, Retool, um, you can also uh, follow at Retool. And uh, retool.com, you can actually just sign up for free and uh, play around and spin up uh, a free instance. And uh, I definitely recommend that you do. I, I, if I, Retool has kind of been my secret weapon for like building the silly little app that I always wanted to build but never had the time. So uh, my recent hack project is I've been building my own tabletop role-playing game tools on top of Retool as well. Um, so for whatever that like little app is that you're like, oh man, I should really build that. Um, yeah, try it out. It could be it could be pretty fun. Well, thank you again, and uh, I look forward to uh, to talking to you again soon, and hopefully have you back. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks, everybody.